0: Well, that was good, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? I did too. Wonderful, isn't it, to just acknowledge how great our Heavenly Father and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, actually are. As Diane and I were driving up here this morning, we were commenting about how we feel when we come to Memorial Baptist Church. And I said, you know, it's certainly an encouraging church, isn't it? We're always encouraged when we come and we fellowship with you. And we just want to thank you for that fellowship that you share with us. And we trust that in the days ahead, that fellowship will actually deepen and broaden and be more and more enriched through the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, as we have these next few moments together, I want to share with you from the Word of God something that is not only good, but it's good for you. Uh, There are a lot of things that are good, but they're not good for us. You know, I particularly kind of like McDonald's french fries. Do you? I I think they're about the best french fries that they're on the market. But when I come home and I say to my wife, I went to McDonald's today and uh, had a hamburger. She said, did you have french fries? And uh, I say, yes. She said, you know, those are not good for you. Uh, They're good, but they're not good for you. But in the word of God, God has something that is not only good, but it's good for us as well. And let's just bow together in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, how we thank you for the wonderful things that you've prepared for those that love you. And Father, we would want to participate fully in all that you've provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only in his death and his burial and his resurrection, but Father, through his ascension. And we're just thinking of today how the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of your throne. And today, he's making intercession for us as we're gathered here in this room together. And I pray that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would accomplish in each one of our lives those things that are not only needful, those things that will result in glory and praise and honor being brought to your name. And I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Do you ever just take the Bible and just hold it by your heart? And say to the Lord, thank you for this marvelous book. And then sometimes uh, there's a book within this book that is a particularly meaningful book to you. And as you open it up and you start to read it, do you ever just put it over your heart and just say, oh, thank you, Father, for giving us this wonderful word. I love the book of Psalms. I don't know how you are about the book of Psalms, but the Hebrew people used to call it Tehillim. It uh, was actually... The book of praise. And I remember when I was in college one time that in our chapel services, all that we had was the old psalter. We didn't have hymn books. We just had the psalter. And uh, we would sing, chapel to chapel, those psalms that had been set to music. The book of psalms is an amazing book. In fact, did you know the book of psalms is actually five books? There are five books here in the book of Psalms. I won't give you all the divisions. If you want to know later, I'll tell you. But each one of those five sections ends with amen. In other words, God has said in the book of Psalms, he said certain things that he has prophesied are going to come to truth. There are certain things that need to be practiced. And he wants us to put those things in practice in our lives. And at the end of each one of those five books in the book of Psalms, there is a word that is included in the word amen. Amen. Lord, this is the way you've planned it. This is the way you've said it's going to be. Oh, amen, let it be that way. But not only are there those five books within the book of Psalms, but within those five books, there also are divisions oftentimes. And in your hymn book here in the pew today, in the back you have a topical index. And it'll show you, for instance, if you want Christmas music, you turn to this section and that'll be Christmas music. If you want Easter music, you turn to this section. (laughs) That'll be Easter music. And just on through, there are all these different sections. Well, we're not going to go through all the sections that are in these sections, but I want to tell you about three sections that probably you're already aware of. And the first of those sections is the section that begins with Psalm 120 and goes through Through Psalm 134. Those are called the pilgrim psalms or the ascending psalms. Some of the people tell us that. As the people were going up to Jerusalem, you see there were five feasts in the year for Israel, and three of them were called Feasts of Obligation. And that meant if you were a male, 12 years old or older, and you weren't incapacitated physically, you were required to go to Jerusalem and celebrate that feast. As the people started out from the farthest distance from Jerusalem and started toward the city, as they would go along, they would be singing these 15 psalms. And as they got closer, each one of the psalms was a more intimate psalm regarding our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But as they marched along, as they marched along, uh, other people would come and join with them and they'd start singing those psalms. And then when they got to the city of Jerusalem, they would come to the temple. And there were 15 steps going up into the temple. And they tell us that on each one of those steps, the people took time to worship the Lord. And they would sing one of these psalms. And each step that they took, they, in essence, were drawing closer to the Lord. And that's what these 15 psalms are about. They're psalms of worship, teaching us how to draw close to the Lord. But when you actually stand in the presence of the Lord, what are you going to do? Uh, They're in the presence of the Lord, what are you going to do? And so Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, these are the psalms that are called the Hallel. They're the Hallelujah Psalms. And these Hallelujah Psalms were festival hymns that the people sang in recognition to the God who they were worshiping. And they were psalms of praise. this God, All that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men because he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. But there's another section of these psalms. We have come up to the place where we're standing in the presence of God. We're praising God. But as we're praising him, we recognize that there on that throne, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. In time of need. On that throne there is one with a majestic crown upon his head. Because he is the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. And these psalms, Psalm 93 through 100, are the coronation psalms. The psalms that recognize the dominion of the father and the son over all that has ever been created. What a wonderful thing. And what better place to start our meditation this morning as we're approaching Thanksgiving, than to come to these psalms of worship and praise and the psalms where we recognize that our Lord has been given a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the glory of God. Now Those psalms, 93 through 100, the coronation psalms, it's like a majestic oratorio. I don't know how many of you are magicians, but it's like a majestic musical masterpiece. And whenever you go to a concert like that, there always is a prelude preparing you for this majestic oratorio that has been prepared. And that's what Psalm 92 is. It's the prelude to Psalm 93 through 100, those very, very beautiful worship psalms, the psalms of coronation. And so in this prelude, notice what it says in Psalm 93 or Psalm 92. It says this, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Now, when I read the Bible, I sometimes enter into a little conversation with the earthly author, and then finally with the true author, the Lord himself. And so I say as I'm reading this psalm, David, you know, good is kind of a broad word. Like we say, McDonald's french fries are good, but they're not good for you. And so I want to say, to David I want to say what do you mean it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and so he replies to me and he says well first of all I want you to know that ethically it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 we read the steps that men took in falling away from God going into apostasy and it said the first step was this they didn't glorify God They didn't recognize God for the greatness of who he is. They didn't glorify him. Neither were they thankful. If there is any nation in the world today that needs to be thankful, I want you to know it's the nation of the United States of America. I know there are problems here. Serious problems in our country. But God has done a wonderful thing of reviving this nation in time past. and I believe he's able to do it at this time, but Maybe it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God in preparation for the coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, ethically, it's a good thing to to thank the Lord. Because when these people weren't thankful and they didn't glorify, they were falling away from him. They were departing. They were going into apostasy. Uh, But emotionally... It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord as well. It's a healthy thing to do. I read those wonderful verses that probably almost all of you in this congregation have memorized. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then verse 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Let him direct your paths. And then you know what it says. It will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Now, I have to confess to you, I don't just exactly know what a healthy navel is, but I guess it must be a good thing, don't you? But uh, what he's saying here is emotionally, it's a good thing to give thanks on the Lord. You know, some people are just very negative. And frankly, when they're negative, it affects everything about them. But when people are thankful, that also affects everything about them. And so, practically... It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Because, you see, attitudes are contagious. Remember the children of Israel? Back there as the Lord had just brought them out of Egypt. And, you know, three days out, they started to do what? Murmur. Say that word. Murmur. Isn't that an awful word? It just just has a negative sound to it, doesn't it? And I suppose it started with one person who said, What are we going to drink? what are we going to eat? And then somebody said, I don't know. And somebody said, doesn't seem like there's much of anything here. And that murmuring just grew and grew and grew. But you see, practically, God had shown himself as being the one who is not only self-sufficient, but he is all-sufficient. Sufficient for every need of our lives. And practically, if those people would have just thanked the Lord for what he was going to do, In continuing to provide provide them, they would have saved themselves a tremendous amount of emotional difficulty. But finally, I want you to notice also that it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord spiritually. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says that God inhabits or he's enthroned on the praises of his people. Do you know what that means? It means this, that when we praise the Lord, it lifts him up. It exalts his throne And people recognize that God is alive and well. He still is meeting the needs of his people. So there it is. It is a good thing. It's good for you. It's good for you emotionally. It's good for you ethically. It's good for you practically. And it's good for you spiritually to thank the Lord for who he is and what he's doing. Now, what is the purpose of our thanking the Lord? Well, now we want to get into these other psalms, the oratorio. And we want to start. With, verse nine, with, uh, with Psalm 93 and verse 1. And notice, in this oratorio that we're listening to with this massive orchestra and the massive choir singing out in praise to God, I want you to notice, in any oratorio, there's going to be a theme. And early in the oratorio, that theme will be announced through the choir or through the instrumentation. And then throughout the oratorio, that theme will be repeated You'll hear that same thing over and over again. So here in Psalm 93 in verse 1 we read, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. And then I want you to just turn over rapidly to 97. Psalm 97 in verse 1. And notice what it says. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of the isles be glad before him. And then notice Psalm 91. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. And here is this wonderful, majestic oratorio, exalting God, who is the sovereign of the universe. And it doesn't just say, One day the Lord is going to reign. It says, today the Lord is reigning. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, he is working all things according to the purpose of his divine will. And you know something? In the end, it's all going to come out all right. Because it's going to come out the way that God has said it's going to come out. So here it is. What is the purpose of our being thankful and and, and are praising the Lord. It is a recognition of who he is. He is the self-sufficient, all-sufficient Father of each one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The Lord Jehovah reigns. And notice the second verse. His throne is established because he lives forever. I look at Queen Elizabeth, over well, I don't look at her, but I read about her. And uh, <laughs> I hear about Queen Elizabeth, and I think, you know, she's no chick anymore, is she? And one of these days, she's going to check out. And you know what's going to happen? For a little while, that throne is going to be empty until the next person is anointed and comes to the throne. I think of Isaiah back in that wonderful, wonderful book when he said, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was seated on the throne. And you see, regardless of how things look down here, God knows what he's doing, and he's doing what he knows is best. His throne is established so that it will never be moved. In Psalm 2, the father says, I have set my king, on my holy hill of Zion, I've declared the decree, thou art my son. This day I've begotten thee. And earlier in that Psalm 2, it says this, the kings of the earth set themselves together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let's get rid of the Lord and his anointed, they say. And then God says in that sixth verse, hey, wait a minute. I've set my king on the holy hill of Zion. He's not going to be moved. He Is the sovereign of the universe. So the Lord reigns. And then notice Psalm 97 and verse 1. Notice what it says there. It says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. And here he is. The Lord is reigning and he's working everything out in history according to the counsel of his will. And I sometimes pick up the newspaper, and I read what's happening around that little nation of Israel, less than the size of the state of New Jersey. And I see all of these monster nations surrounding it and thinking, we're going to destroy Israel. And you know, I just say, no way. It's not going to happen because God has declared that he's going to preserve that nation for his own glory the Lord reigns and notice verse 2 of this 97th Psalm clouds and darkness are around about him righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne and I look at some of the rulers of this world I can't believe what they're doing I can't believe their programs I can't believe what they're doing to other people even their own people But the one who is on the sovereign throne of the universe, he reigns in righteousness. He does it the right way. He does it in love, in mercy, and in grace. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. But notice going over to Psalm 99 and verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord reigns. And it says in the second verse, the Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the people. In other words, no one is going to frustrate the plans and purposes of God. He's going to accomplish. He's going to do what He said. And we can realize that everything will end up according to the perfect will of God. Verse 3, let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy You know what it says there? God never stoops to expediency to accomplish his purpose. He is holy. He is separate from sin, from compromise for any of these things. So, give thanks to the Lord. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. It's a good thing to give thanks unto him and to recognize his His working in the world today, who he is. He's the Lord Jehovah, the all-sufficient one. And The Lord is reigning. He's reigning accomplishing even now the things that need to be accomplished for the ultimate fulfillment of his purpose. And the Lord reigns and his reign is a reign of righteousness without compromise. He is inflexible in his holiness. I notice, as I look at this this wonderful picture of the one who's on the throne, notice going back to Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. And I look at this person. I I see his purpose. He's moving all things to accomplish his purpose. But I look at his person then. And as I look at his person, I look at his regal robing. When he came to this earth, he put on working clothes. And he came down here and he became a carpenter. And for 30 years he lived in that carpenter's shop. And did the work of a carpenter until he went out for three years to do the ministry that the father had sent him to accomplish But the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11 says that when he came to this earth, though he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And you see, he laid aside that wonderful glory that was his with the Father from all eternity. He laid it aside and then When he finally was taken out to the cross. Do you remember what they did? They took that robe. That seamless robe that he had worn. They took it off from him. And they gambled over it. And they left him on the cross with simply a loincloth. To cover him. But God the Father went into that tomb. And he raised his son from the dead. And Jesus Christ ascended to glory. And you know what he did when he ascended to glory? He took up those robes that he had laid aside. When he came and took the workman's garments. And he clothed himself, he girded himself, and he girded himself with strength and with majesty. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. What a contrast there to Isaiah chapter 53 when we see him as the one who was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But then what's our response? What's our response to to this one? We believe all these things, don't we? I've not told you anything that is is brand new to you. You know these things are true, but I want to ask you, have you just become accustomed to hearing about these things? Does it really move your heart anymore to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ being on the throne of eternity and reigning and ruling there? When uh, Isaac Watts was just a 16-year-old boy and his father's church used the old Psalter and all they sang were the psalms and Isaac Watts went to his dad and he said you know I wish we could sing something a little different sometimes than just the psalms and his dad said to him well if you wish we could sing something different why don't you write it and so I, Isaac took up the, the, the challenge and he wrote a hymn and the next Sunday they sang his hymn in the church and it was such a phenomenal success that he wrote another one and he kept writing Every week he'd have a new hymn until, frankly, he had composed 600 hymns. But one of the early hymns that Isaac Watts wrote was taken from Psalm 72. And Psalm 72 is a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm that David prayed for his son Solomon as Solomon was going to the throne. And it was a prophetic psalm about what God would do through his son Solomon The prophecy was larger than Solomon. The prophecy looked forward down the years to the Son of God and what God would accomplish through him. And when Isaac Watts was writing his hymns, he wrote one that... uh, we sometimes sing in our missionary conferences, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its celestial journeys run. His kingdom spreads from shore to shore till moon, moon, <laughs> moons and stars shall wane no more. And it's a wonderful hymn. It's 300 years old, but we still sing it in our churches, that wonderful hymn that Isaac Watts wrote. But I want you to know something. Isaac Watts was just a little bit off in that hymn, because it isn't just that Jesus shall reign. Jesus Christ is reigning. He is accomplishing his will, his purpose, and his plan. And dear friend, don't fall out of the will of God, as he uses you in this evil society in which we live to be one of the instruments in accomplishing his purpose. So what is our response to this one who's on the throne into our recognition of this, our realization? What, what is our response to it? Well, notice Psalm 95 in verse 1. And in Psalm 95 in verse 1 we read this, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And I loved to hear you sing this morning. And I love the choice of your hymns. The, the, the words, the meaning in those words. I, I, I was impressed. And he said, let us sing, but be careful. Let us be sure that our singing is addressed to the Lord. Don't let it just become a mechanical thing. Don't let it just be a church thing. Let it be a thing that echoes through all the realms of the universe. Our praise to the Lord. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. And you know something? As I read the Old Testament and I read about the... Jewish people gathering together to worship. You know what, I, what I'm impressed with? It was loud. I'll tell you, when they worshiped, they had the high-sounding cymbals. They had the trumpets. They had the whole gamut there. And it was loud. And he said, let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Oh, dear friend, we have so much to be thankful for. Do you know that this Thursday, as you gather around that laden table in your home, that half of the world's population has never had one decent meal? We take it for granted, don't we? In fact, if some of those people could come and take the scrapings off of our plate that we're going to throw into the garbage, it would be one of the best meals that they've ever had. Oh, let's offer thanksgiving to the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord because he is good and it's good for you to give thanks to him. Let us, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And then notice there's a balance here. It's loud, it's, it's vibrant, it's joyful, but it says oh come let us worship and bow down. Don't get carried away with the music. Don't get so wrapped up in the sounds and the music that you forget the one to whom we're singing and that your heart and mind is focused on him. Come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, for he is our God. There is no one that is higher in our estimation than our God. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then notice Psalm 96 and verse 1. And in Psalm 96 and verse 1, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. And when it says a new song, I just have to say this. Let's be careful in our churches that we don't look to the world for the pattern of our music in the churches. I think that your music this morning was honoring to the Lord. But I've been places where, frankly, I almost shuddered at the music that they were using supposedly to acknowledge the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Don't let it be something that people come in and they say, oh, it's the same thing I hear on, uh, on the rock radio stations. And uh, when we lived in Caledonia, there was a young man that uh, lived across the street from us, and he was from another faith. But one time, uh, he went to one of our churches, and I asked him, what was his impression? And he said, you know, I gotta tell you, Ed, when I'm riding in my car, there's a type of music that I like to listen to. but When I go to church, I want it to be a different type of music. And that's what I think. I I, I think that is included in this when it says, let us sing unto the Lord a new song. Bless his name and tell of his salvation. And be sure that in our singing that Jesus Christ is the one that's being exalted. That we're lifting him up, praise it, and, and it says, declare his glory. Tell who the Lord Jesus is. Tell who God the Father is. Because there are people today that have no idea of who Jesus Christ is and who Jehovah our God is. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And then notice Psalm 98 in verse 1. And in Psalm 98, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. And I want to just ask you today, Jehovah, Jesus, call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And I want to ask you, has the Lord Jesus Christ delivered you from your sin burden? Have you accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary when he took your penalty and my penalty, the death sentence, and died in our place? Have you accepted not only the Christ of the cross, but have you accepted the Christ of the crown? The one who is reigning over those who are truly his own. And today, it's wonderful that Christ died for our sins, but Christ has been raised for our justification. Let's live in that newness of life. Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. And I tell you what, (laughs) to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's that person who recognizes who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for each one of us. And dear friend, if you've never acknowledged that it was your sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, and it was your penalty that took him out to that cross, if you have never acknowledged that he came to be your personal savior, oh, do it, dear friend. He's coming back soon, and only those who have placed their trust in him, will be caught up to be with him in the presence of those who have named the name of Christ for all eternity. His right hand in his holy arm. Has has the Lord delivered you? Not only from the penalty of your sin, but from the practice of sins within your life, because that's what salvation is all about. And just one more. Can we just look briefly at Psalm 100? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. And dear friend, it's wonderful to come to there and sing about God and the great things that he's done because we're comfortable here with each other, aren't we? But you know what? Tomorrow, you're going to be out where people are taking the name of the Lord Jesus in vain. You're going to be out where people are scoffing at this one who took the penalty for our sin. And dear friend, it's there that we must declare who he is. We must take a stand of righteousness. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But tomorrow, serve the Lord with gladness. Do in society today what God has planned that his children should be doing. And I was thrilled when I read in the Baptist Bulletin about your outreach into this community. In that storm that came and devastated so many. And, and the expression of your love and your concern for your community. That's the way it ought to be. Make a joyful noise, but it's more than noise, dear friend. It's faithful service to the Lord. Serve the Lord and do it with gladness. And then come before his presence with singing and enter into his gates with thanksgiving and come to his courts with praise. And I love, I love that that little spiritual exercise. Who shall ascend into the hill of God? Who shall stand in that holy place? And when I pray... (laughs) <laughs> this is crazy but I almost think of getting in an elevator and riding up to heaven and there the gate is open <laughs> the gate is open and the father said come on in <laughs> come out come on come up here to the throne and then he said now what do you need what do you need in order to glorify me and let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving oh it's through the name of Jesus that I can come And as I walk down that corridor to the throne and look all around at those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I go down those courts with praise. What a wonderful salvation he has provided. Now, Psalm 92 that we started with, and just briefly and we'll be finished. Psalm 92 that we started with, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Do you know what that psalm is? It was called the Sabbath psalm. When I was a little kid back at Bethel Baptist Church in Erie, Pennsylvania, every Sunday we would sing the Gloria, (laughs) glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, so is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And we would begin the service with acknowledging the holiness of God and the presence of God. This is a Sabbath hymn. They sang this every Saturday when they came together. They sang this marvelous psalm about the goodness of the Lord, a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praise unto thy name, O Most High. And dear friend, this morning, I just want to ask you, how is your spirit? Where are you in your appreciation of who the Lord is what he has done for you in the past, what he's doing for you in the presence, and what he plans to do for you for all eternity. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men, because he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. Father, I thank you for these dear people this morning. I thank you for their appetite for the word of God. Which you have given to them. And you said blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because they will be filled. Or there's someone in this congregation today. Who perhaps says I know that's the way that it should be. But that's not the way it is in my life. Oh I pray father. That in your mercy and in your grace. You would do in that heart. In that mind. In that conscience. That thing that is needful. To create that hunger and thirst For righteousness. And draw them to yourself and satisfy them in your fullness. And while your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I want to ask you this morning what is it that you're most thankful for as we enter into this Thanksgiving season? And as people gather around your table on Thanksgiving Day, is there going to be a time of acknowledging the goodness of the Lord, his faithfulness in our homes and our families? What are you going to thank the Lord for? What is the most important thing today? That you say, oh, I must must express my thanks to the Lord. Would you just do it? Just now. Just express your thanks to the Lord. For that thing that you say, this is the thing I'm most thankful for. And if there's a person here, and you have never called on the name of the Lord to accept the salvation he purchased for you on the cross, just in this moment you could do that. You could call out to the name of the Lord and say, O oh Lord, thank you for taking my penalty. And in this moment, I accept you as my provision for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.